Hear the word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This reading comes from the Common English Bible. What I mean is this, the one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop. And the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Let me ask you a question here. What grips your heart? What is it that grips your heart? This is the time for you shout out. <laughs> What's that? Oppression. Oppression. Bahamas family. What? Somebody said the right answer. <laughs> it's always the answer. You know, I'll tell you what shows what grips our heart. It's our priorities. Our priorities illustrate to us what grips our heart. And our priorities can be revealed. It can be an indicator. Some of the ways we can discover what grips our heart or what our priorities are are looking in two places. Looking on your calendar and looking in your bank statement. Those are the two places that reveal our priorities, which reveal our heart. So let me ask you a question. If somebody were to look through your calendar or look through my calendar and look through your bank statements, could they tell that Jesus had a grip on your heart? It's a question for you to sit with today and think about. You know, some years ago, this congregation, actually it's been over 10 years ago, it's hard to believe, wrestled with an important question that I think really every church should wrestle with, and is, what is a disciple of Jesus? We always say, we want to make disciples of Jesus. We want, to, we want to do this. We want to do that. But what is a disciple of Jesus? And we came up with lots of definitions, most of them good and accurate, a few not so much. But I want you to know the, the, the definition that Hyde Park kind of created, or not created, landed on when we say disciple of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and throw it up, Sam. So... A follower of Jesus whose life is centering, I-N-G, Harnish and I wrestled over that word. He wanted centered. I wanted centering. Centering on loving God and loving others. So there's two parts to that definition. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you say you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to be a follower is the first part. The first part is about belief. Believing in Jesus and also believing in the things that Jesus believed in. It's about growing in your belief in Jesus. So that's the first part. You can believe that Jesus lived and died and was resurrected by God, right? So that's the first part. Then the second part is where the rubber hits the road. It's a lifelong journey about centering our lives on loving God and loving others and even our enemies, which is the worst part. Loving God, neighbor, and enemies. We center our life on that love. And so 
believing in Jesus, that Jesus lived and died for you and for me and for us and the whole creation makes us grateful, hopefully, and that we express that gratitude through love. So these people here, look around, look at your neighbor. These are disciples who are growing to love God and love others in their life more and more and more and more. These little kids are going to continue to do that. They might do it better than us already, but we, should, we want to help them continue the lifelong journey. So in other words, disciples are people who have their hearts gripped by Jesus Christ. Gripped. So you heard in the uh, implementation team update that we heard from you over the last few years that you want practical guidance on how you can do this lifelong journey of loving God and loving neighbor. We heard that over and over and over again when we, we did surveys and et cetera, et cetera. And the good news is we already know what the, the seven practices are because you're already here, number one. You know that there's three corporate practices, and these are this, none of this is rocket science, worship, here we are. We worship God. We remember God. We re we're grateful. We come to worship regularly. Second, small group. That's why we're launching small groups to get you involved, to help iron sh uh, sharpen iron, to learn about Jesus, to be accountable. And then last, service, finding a way to serve the world. Those are our corporate practices to be done corporately, right? And we can all grow in these. Hyde Park is working hard. Some of the, some of the vision team um, Updates eventually will be about worship small groups and service, and we'll tell you more about that down the line. But for many of us, if we're honest, and this was certainly me too at different points in my life, we kind of stopped there with those three, those three large, large things. We come to worship, and we may be in a small group, maybe, and we find ways to serve in the world. But if we look at our calendars, and we look at our bank statements, we might not be revealed, might not be revealed that Jesus has gripped our heart. Because Jesus invites us to a deeper kind of love that happens in the daily routines of our lives throughout the week, throughout the day. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes we're distracted. And sometimes we'd rather rely on ourselves and our own strength and resources than relying on God. And so what Jesus is talking about in this life of living abundantly and living a life full of love is about ordering our lives so that God can mold us and shape us into the person he's called us to be. And we believe, and the jelly beans were already spilled earlier, that there are four practices that we want to help you, equip you on your own to do. And it forms that silly acronym, which I kind of like, GRIP. GRIP. And so give, read, invite, pray. Give financially in a way that's joyful. Not out of pressure, not out of... Not like that. Harness used to say, parenthetically, I used to love, he's the former senior pastor. He said, God loves a cheerful giver, but we'll take a stingy one too. <laughs> so, thank you, Jim. But, we, but that's not the way I want you to give. That's not the way the church wants you to give. We want you to give joyfully, your heart, that you're excited. 
Second, we want you to read the Bible without frustration. I'm reading the Bible in a year, by the way. Just got into the New Testament. There are times that, that reading that book's challenging. We need each other to do it. So, but reading the Bible on the own, not for Bible study, but for formation to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to us. Second, invite other people to experience Jesus in a way that's natural and intimidating, not like this. If you die tonight, do you know where you're going? I get that every once, once in a while, people knock on my door. Get off my lawn. I'm a little nicer than that. Then lastly, pray with confidence and conviction. Do you believe that your prayer life, the way that you talk to God, makes a difference in shaping you and in shaping the world? If you don't, let's do it. Let's figure it out. Because prayer changes things. So here's, here's my question for you. Are we giving God our heart? Are we giving financially in a way that's joyful? Are we set aside time to read scripture or even talk to God or maybe meditate? Are we, are, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the, last time, when's the last time you told somebody about your faith walk with Christ and how Christ has changed your life? These are the things that we kind of forget about or we're distracted by that God and Jesus is inviting us. To be. This is what the vision thing is all about. It's not about becoming a larger church or getting more hands in your pockets. What it's about is changing the world because of the love of Christ. And it happens through you. And as you do these practices, it absolutely will change you. So today we're talking about the annoying topic of giving financially. If you knew it was a financial servant, you would have been at home, wouldn't you? <laughs> Most of us like to skip the G and focus on the R, reading scripture, invitation, and prayer. But Because talking about money is difficult. But here's the thing. Jesus only talked about one other topic more than your relationship with money. He talked about the kingdom of God the most. And then the second most thing he talked about was your relationship with that. It's an important topic because he knew that your relationship with that can choke that. He knew that it could choke your heart. So if we're honest, the last place we want God is in our wallets. We want him in every other area, unless it's blessing, getting some, right? There's a lot of health and wealth gospel out there. But we would prefer everybody stay out of our our bank statements. Don't look at my bank statement and see what I, I spend money on. I want to be clear about something today, that this isn't a stewardship campaign right now. It's not. It's not about turning in a pledge card. That's later in the fall. You'll have the opportunity. But it's about honoring God with your thoughts and your actions, how you spend your time and how you spend your money so that you can cultivate a greater and deeper relationship with Christ. If you want to start Allowing God to grip your heart a little bit more, start with your bank statement and start with your calendar. It'll change some things. So here's the point of today's sermon. You haven't even heard me talk about the scripture yet. Here it comes. All of us, each one of us can move into cheerful giving. And I think Paul offers the roadmap how. 
So this, what Lisa read from was the second letter to the Corinthians. It kind of gives us three ways, three general ways that we can kind of move into joyful giving. But I want to give a little background because people love to pull out little scriptures and support themselves when they uh, want to give you a point. So I'm going to try to give you a little background about this letter so you'll understand it. All right. So first of all, Paul started the church at Corinth. It was his baby. He started Okay, and in 1 Corinthians, his first letter, he tells them, hey, there's the church in Jerusalem, and they're poor and struggling, and y'all are wealthy, and I want you to help start taking a collection. I want you to, whatever you make the first day of the week, set it aside, and then I'll come and get it later and take it to them. There's a lot of other stuff in the letter, but that's the part of the collection stuff, right? There's also that beautiful love statement, a bunch of other stuff in 1 Corinthians. Then, apparently, Paul got delayed, and he didn't come. And what did that church do? They were angry. And some other rival teachers started talking to this church and telling them different things than what Paul had told them. So the second letter to the Corinthians is a response to the conflict that they had in the first, and them being irritated at Paul for not doing what Paul said he was going to do. Make sense? Okay. So, this is what Paul, here's the first way that Paul reminds this church, they're in a little conflict, about generosity. It comes from 2 Corinthians 5, and it says this. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One died for the sake of all, therefore all died. He died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should not live for themselves, but for the one who has died and was raised. You see, the first way that we can connect and move into giving cheerfully is to remember God's grace. To remember what God has given us, the way that he has called us, the way that he has saved us, the way that he has restored us to right relationship with God and how he invites us into a lifelong journey of love. God has chosen you. God has forgiven you whether your sins have been little or sins like mine have been big. God forgives you. And so when we connect with that grace, we can move into more generosity. Paul is beckoning the church to remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In this whole section, he calls the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry. So if you can connect, if I can connect, if we can connect to God's grace, we can live for others. And that's what your money is all about. It's taking care of your family and your needs and, your, and some of your wants for sure, but it's also remembering that we are called to live for others. So this week I was talking, I talked in my men's group on Tuesday morning about this scripture and then talked uh, with a member of the Portico Vision team, Russ Adkins, about giving cheerfully. And we had a great conversation on the phone. And after after we got done, he, sh- he shot me an email. One line. He said, when we receive 
or take, we are joyfully present. When we give, both financially and our talents, we joyfully belong. You see, Russ was channeling Paul's words just a few verses after the ones I read, and he said this. All of these new things are from God who reconciled us to him through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not by counting people's sins against them. He trusted us, you, with a message of reconciliation. Here's, here's, the big th- here's the big finish. So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you to be ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. You see, we, the church, you, that's us, that's not the building, are trusted with Jesus' message. It is given to you, little kids and adults. It's given to you placed in your hands and in your hearts to share it with the world. We can become more joyfully giving when we pivot from recipient to ambassador. We come to church sometimes to receive, and we should receive. We receive the church's mission. We receive the good stuff that comes through being a part. But when we can pivot to recipient, to ambassador, something powerful happens. That message of reconciliation is received by others. Because after being recipients of the church, we become responsible for it. We're all responsible for this message and for this community. So here's the last way. And it comes from our key verse, which is, I think, on your sheet. It says this, everyone should give whatever they decided in their heart. They should, shouldn't give without hesitation because, or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. I want you to know something. It's one of the reasons I love this church. Only a few people will ever know what you give. I ain't one of them. between you and God it's not between it's not a, a, a sales job it's not a it's not a pressure point it's not that's not the point this is about this is a part of discipleship this is about growing your relationship with God when Jesus gets his hands in a pocket things begin to change I'm telling you And we want to give you just a couple of different ways for you to really pray about and think about. And it's in your your, uh, bulletin there. The first is simply called this. This is something I learned actually when I started coming to this church. 101080. 101080. Most Christian uh, um, financial planners would suggest this. Dave Ramsey, blah, blah, blah. Lots of people say it's not hard. It's not rocket science. You give 10, you save 10, you live off 80. 101080. Now, that simple principle helps order our lives so we're not always like up to here in debt and all that stuff. But I also recognize people are at different points, and many of you couldn't do that even if you wanted to do that. But there's a way that you can look and see where you are now and take a little step forward so you can become free. It's about giving cheerfully 
and joyfully. So 10 goes to God. That's in the churchy language. That's a tithe. It's an act of worship and gratitude for what God has given you, including your skills to actually create wealth. And it's simply returning back to what belongs to God. Anyway, 10% goes to savings. Many stories in the Bible about saving up. Diligently adding to your savings allows you to have freedom. And then 80 is for you to live on. Your wants, your needs, you know, have fun. Gives you freedom. And gives you space for movement if something happens. Again, none of that's rock, rocket science. And there's something in your bulletin for you to look at and take home and think about and pray about and, and, and do that with your family. But I want to tell you a story about Leonard. And I got Leonard's permission this morning to tell it. He had to leave. A few weeks ago, I was sitting right over there, and Leonard came in and sat next to me. Leonard comes to open arms just about every week, goes to the Bible study upstairs. And um, he's an amazing, amazing uh, older gentleman. And uh, he worships with us. He's a member of our congregation. Hasn't gone through the mem- membership class, but he's a member of our congregation. He's here often. And he came in and sat next to me um, a couple few weeks ago. He's poor. He lives outside. When the offering came around uh, that week, um, he, he reached into his pocket, and I leaned over to him. I was like, good all good and he looked at me and he said something to the effect i'm happy to do it this church does a lot for me and the lord calls me to do it too you see leonard was connected to god's grace what jesus has done for him and he had pivoted even as poor as he was and is from recipient to ambassador. You know the other thing that he did? He smiled and he gave cheerfully. He had decided in his heart what to give. Let's pray. God, we give thanks that you have a hold of our hearts. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But giving cheerfully will always materialize if we work these fact practices. We give thanks for this church. We give thanks for these people. Put on our heart on what we should do and not do, but do from a place of generosity in a regular manner. There may be people in our communities or at work that may be hurting. We pray that we might invite people. We pray that we might put on our calendar some time to spend with you. And we pray all these things in the power of Jesus the Christ. Amen.